Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me for Rockets Chatter is Cooper Klein, host of the NBA Drop podcast, Upside Swings, and contributor to the Rockets Chop Shop on YouTube. Go check out all his stuff. And great to catch up with you, Cooper. Happy holidays, brother. Yeah, happy holidays to you as well. Uh, hopefully, you know, the Rockets will continue winning and uh, make the holiday season even better. Oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. And, you know, there was an interesting tidbit. And I don't know if you caught this, but 97.5's John Granado this morning on his radio uh, had this. Cooper, you, you got to keep in mind, Granado's friends with Tillman, talks to him regularly. And he said, quote, this offseason, this organization did not think that Alperin Shangoon would be on the team. So basically, Tillman must have told Granado they were going to deal Shangoon if they signed Brooke Lopez. And Cooper, their lack of confidence in Shangoon pretty much lines up with a lot of the rumors I heard uh, all last year and, and through the offseason, which is another reminder of Rafael Stone's inability to evaluate. And it's, it's a concern for me. I don't know how you're looking at it, even though, you know, they've got some stuff going right right now. I just, I'm still worried about that guy. Yeah. From, from everything I've heard, the Rockets front office is very uh, diverse in, in thought and philosophy. I had talked to somebody at summer league who was telling me that there were very prominent voices within the Rockets front office who were not a fan of Shangun and were not a fan of Tari who were objectively our two best players last year. Wow. Yeah. It's, it just, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think having a lot of different opinions is valuable, even if they're not good opinions, it at least forces you to challenge your own beliefs and all that kind of stuff. The worry would be that someone like Stone and someone like Tillman didn't see Shingun as a uh, as a building block, uh, at least offensively. I think the defensive worries were fair. It's semi-obvious that even Ime had concerns about Shingun's defense coming in because he pushed so hard for Brooke Lopez, pushed Garuba out of town, Tai Tai, you know, all those guys to clear up the extra space for Brooke. Like, I, I, I think a lot of the worry is that it was the defensive end more than the offensive end. And, and they believed so strongly in, at the time, KPJ and, and Jalen Green's offensive ability. And they wanted a more defensive-minded big who could more complement those guys. And I think that's a false way to look at it. I, th- I think they lacked creativity. And that's the biggest indictment on the front office is they looked at a guy like Shen Yun, And I, I'm guilty of this too, by the way. I was absurdly low on him for a long time. I, I've come around recently i think it wasn't fair though to shangun to look at him as terrible defensively like he couldn't cut it because when you have a whole team that's not playing defense i mean the the nba is such a team defense game and silas's defense was crap and he wasn't doing anything different from a night-to-night there wasn't the experimentation we talked about it me and frank did last year like you know, Frank was pointing that out. I think it was very obvious. Like, where was the variety and how to use Shangun? Where was the experimentation on it? But more importantly, how good Shangun going to do if nobody else is playing defense? There's no cohesiveness to it. 
you've got a bunch of young guys, which that's Rafael Stone's fault for constructing a team like that to where you can't see, you know, this is why you need veterans to evaluate the guys that you've got. And that was the problem with last year is you had no veterans to evaluate guys. And, you know, it might work out that you you were terrible and you get Amen and Amen's, you know, a great player, but still, you know, that's the danger of that whole situation and the way he had things set up and the danger of putting all your trust into Kevin Porter for no good reason, which we know that was Rafael Stone. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about he was the guy behind Kevin Porter and me and a lot of people, not just Rockets fans, NBA people thought that was a stupid, stupid idea to put that much faith, faith in Kevin Porter and, and build everything around him like he was the next guy. Especially defensively with Shengun, there were flashes of him being like good in a hedge system. It's just we didn't have the, the players, the personnel to really show that hedge scheme. Like K.J. Martin, for everybody who was always talked about, oh, he's so good in help. He's such a great weak side rim protector. One of the worst defenders in the NBA. Jalen Green had no idea what to do on offense to do on that end. Kevin Porter Jr., one of the worst point of attack defenders and wing defenders in the NBA. The only good defender we had during the last three years, basically after the WoW era, was Tate. And there's only so much that a six four guy can do. And Silas asked him to do everything. Like uh, it, it, that era is just a joke. At, at a certain point defensively. You don't you didn't get to see what these guys could do. A lot of other guys, not just Shingun, but there was no experimentation defensively. They were so pigeonholed into offensive and defensive roles. We didn't get to see any creativity. And I I would argue, at least at the beginning of the year, that we haven't seen as much as I would like creativity wise from from Ime, but the results speak for themselves. And I'm not gonna complain that the offense isn't crazy enough because we're actually winning basketball games now. Let's move to Shangun on the court because he's been struggling recently. His field goal percentage the last eight games, 47% compared to 53% for the season. The last two games, I mean, it's is, is bad. It hasn't been good the last couple of games for Shangun. Defenses are now game planning for him. And Cooper, this is where you find out if he has what it takes to be an all-star how are you looking at what, what's happening right now and where he's at? So I think a lot of Shangun's struggles recently have been also the fact that Fred and Jalen have really struggled over the past eight to 10 games. Jalen especially, who I, I think early in the season was really good about finding him on the role in the DHO in those kinds of actions. Uh, the worry is that Jalen is so easily game-planned for defensively because he throws two passes. And it's the dump-off to Shengun, or it's like the most basic kick-out that is like he's coming off the screen and it's the guy's way over helping and he tosses it out to the wing. He doesn't have anything else in his bag. There's no skip. There's no manipulation of the defense. And it puts Shengun in tougher positions. I think a lot of it is also just that his touch hasn't looked as good. He's not hitting a lot of the easier little post-hook shots that he loves to get to. And he's played some stronger and longer bigs than he played uh, at the start of the year. And it, it's also, I, I think it could be that he's playing really aggressively on defense. He has a really heavy load on both ends. 
He does a lot. He, you know, recovers defensively. He's out in space. He's constantly moving defensively. And then he's also the engine of the offense, him and Fred. He's doing everything, and it could just be wearing him down. It's a lot to ask. Uh, he's like 21, 22, uh, you know, a guy that old who wasn't in shape when he first came into the NBA and hasn't been in the best shape. You know, I'm not. he's not like an elite athlete. It could just be tough and wearing on him. And I think that'll come with time, and it's good to get him playing through this kind of wear and tear. And uh, I'm excited to see how he looks, you know, when when Fred is back to hitting his threes. And I pray to God that Jalen can turn his season around a little bit. Yeah, I'm more confidence in Fred than Jalen. And frankly, they're playing Fred too many minutes. He leads the NBA in minutes, and that's a problem. And as far as Shangun having a lot on his shoulders. That's that's what we're asking for. If you're going to be an all-star in the NBA as a center, you're going to have to do it every night offensively and defensively. That's, you know, part of the equation. The good news is Tari and Jabari. And I'll start with Tari. Last year, he was the leader in plus minus among the Rockets who averaged more than 20 minutes per game. But he only played 22 minutes. This year, he leads the team with a plus 6.5, almost a full point above Van Vliet, who's got the second best plus minus. It is crazy because, Cooper, I felt like every Rockets fan could see Tari needed more minutes last year. I'm hoping they finally take the governor off Tari's minutes now that he's healthy, and let's see what happens when he gets closer to 30 a night. Yeah, I uh, am one of the biggest fans of Tari Eason. Uh, on the planet i'm a huge fan of his game have been since pre-draft you know i I won't go too deep into it but it's been obvious since like the second he stepped onto this floor last year he gave the team an identity the offensive rebounding that he brought the defensive event creation the intensity that was like the only thing enjoyable about last year's season and seeing that there are finally guys who can do something when you put them on the floor they're not just going to flounder every single second that they're out there He can go out there, grab offensive rebounds, grab defensive rebounds. He's going to strip guys, get out in transition, bring this team some energy. And, you know, he's had a, he's actually had to have his limit, his minutes limited for about as long as he's been playing, you know, even going back to to high school and college because his motor's so hot and he is everywhere, every single possession. He was brought off the bench at LSU partially because they didn't want him running out of energy too quickly into the game and they wanted to you know help him pace his, uh, himself more but i think at this point you got to at least give him a few more minutes you got to go little by little see what he can handle a guy who's that athletic that talented brings so much to the floor and just very obviously helps a team win basketball games even when he's not scoring the ball like if the three's not falling he can't hit his layups he's still impactful because of the defense he's had some great passing games he's he just does everything that you could want from a wing. He needs to play more, at least little by little, and see what he can handle and try not to get him to hurt himself or, or foul out. Well, let, let me let me tell you a little secret about minutes played in the NBA and guys getting tired. That goes for anybody that enters the NBA. It's harder. You know, you're playing against men instead of playing in college or wherever else you were playing before. I mean, it's... You know, I'm, I don't care. You play them. The only way you get more wind is to run further distances. That's basically it. That's the way to learn how to do it. Yeah, especially for, you know, a, a 22-year-old. You know, you got to put him in there, 
just see what you can do. And I, I don't know. He's looked great the last two nights, especially his offensive output, you know, against the Spurs, against the Grizzlies. It's made me so happy. Um, and he does it in, he's not like out there hitting every single three and doing it in unsustainable ways. He's getting out in transition. He's putting the ball on the floor. He's hitting a few threes. He's just playing within the flow of the offense and, and taking what he can get. If you put somebody weaker on him, he's going to take him right to the hole and he's going to, you know, he's going to abuse defenses because he's relentless. And that's the kind of guy you want on a winning team. Yeah, he's a difference maker and it's it's winning. That's what he brings more than anything. And, you know, I've said it in other shows, but I'll repeat it. If, if people are just hearing me say this for the first time. Yeah, there are times where he makes this incredible boneheaded play, you know, or two during a game. That's going to happen. He's going to do something stupid. But I always point out, it just looks obvious because everything else he's doing is great. And when you're, when you're doing nine great things to actually help the team win and one stupid thing, then you you want that guy on the floor as opposed to, I'm just going to, you know, throw out a random person. We'll call him Jalen. And, you know, Jalen, where are the things that you're doing to help the team win? We, when you do stuff to help the, that's not helping the team win, then it's a lot more obvious. Like you, you're not doing the other stuff. So I, I just point that out. Let's, let me talk about Jabari though, because I also want to get to him and it, over Jabari's last 10 games, he's averaging nearly 11 rebounds. Again, 11 rebounds. It's worth saying twice. And he's shooting 52% from the field, nearly 40% from three. What's confusing to me, Cooper, is why the Rockets don't try to get him involved in the offense. And when every other player is rolling, whether it's Shangoon, Jalen, Van Vliet, whoever, they get them the ball because you get the hot guy the ball. Jabari starts rolling. Where's the basketball? Why isn't the ball moving to Jabari? Well, you know, in the post, you know, he can take to the basket now. Get him at, out in space at, um, on the edge or something like that. I, I just, I'm surprised about that. I think it goes back to, you know, his handle is not great. I think it's a lot better than I thought it would be, especially pre-draft because he's just so strong, but he hasn't, at least this season, he hasn't been able to show a lot of what, like he showed at summer league and a little bit in preseason where he can just put his head down, draw fouls, get right to the rim. He's been really good at cutting. We saw it the other night against, you know, he, he went to the basket against Wemby and he's doing it more. It's, as though they're not giving him that chance. You know, if he may, if he screws up twice, he doesn't get it. Whereas Jalen can screw up 30 times, and it's like, well, yeah, you got to keep giving him the ball and give him a chance to do it because that's the only way he's going to learn. Jabari screws up twice, yank him from the game, don't give him the ball. It's like there's two sets of standards between those two guys. I don't know what's going on with the offense. Uh, I think Jabari, Jabari really struggled to start the year and seeing him, how he's turned it around. And I, it's really weird because it, every single game, step by step by step, he'd fix one little thing that he messed up to start the year and in preseason. It's like, oh, I'm getting back cut too much. Oh, slowly game by game, I'm going to get back cut less and less. And he fixed his feet to where he can actually defend at the point of attack again, which was such a huge thing and selling point for him pre-draft. He looks like he's able to use his length without fouling now. He is consistently improving at everything, and they just don't – the team doesn't seem to look at him and be like, yeah, you're consistently improving. Let's give you some more – let's see what you can do with more touches. I think a lot of that is also 
that we have a lot of limited passers on the team. Like I said, Jalen, not a manipulative passer. Fred is like, he's a very safe passer. He's great in the pick and roll and making very basic dump offs and stuff like that. But he's not consistently making complex kickouts to shooters like Jabari. The main kind of pass he gets right now is when he cuts off of Shengun. And Shengun's passing hasn't been as good as it's, you know, it, it hasn't been as flashy as it's been in past years. And he's looking more to score than he is to pass. And part of that's the offense. It's a lot of different things. But he's not kicking it out as much, it feels like. I think he's struggling for that. I, I think Dylan Brooks has actually been the one guy who's surprisingly, like, has been really good at moving the ball and driving and kicking and, and getting Jabari the ball. But they don't run enough sets and they don't have enough willing and manipulative passers to get him the ball because he can't demand it. Well, you know, he's, he's the fifth guy on offense. Yeah. Well, the thing is they seem to be able to throw the ball to Shane Goon when he's in the post and they don't go, Hey, Jabari, let's try running some sets. And that's a Udoka thing. It's, I, I don't know who who's involved in that, but they're not saying, okay, let's get this guy in the post. And cause really, I feel like that's his strength is, you know, that little 14 foot turnaround or, you know, the things that he can do on the low block. And the thing that, you know, I don't get is, yeah, he is better at driving the ball, but, you know, it doesn't take a, a brilliant pass. You just, hey, put him on the wing, throw him the ball. It, you know, we do that with Dylan Brooks and he drives to the basket. He's not some great driver and not definitely not a good finisher. Jabari is starting to show that he can finish a little bit when once he gets downhill. Yeah, it's just a weird situation all around, especially for someone who's shown that he's capable of filling the role that he's been asked to fill. The one thing I can I can think it is, is it's kind of like what they've done with Amen and Tari, where they're kind of forcing them to earn it and like slowly but surely building things up. And it's like, Tari's minutes. Like, why are they not higher? Well, we're going to go slowly, bit by bit, see what he can handle, all this kind of stuff. Got to make sure that you do all, you know, take all the proper steps on this winning team. Tari's playing behind Dylan Brooks, who we just signed for $20 million. If he wants more minutes, he has to take them. He has to be better than Dylan Brooks. No, this is where, no, this is where I disagree. He's, he shouldn't be playing behind Dylan Brooks. You can play Tari at the four. And when Jabari goes off the court or Shane Goon goes off the court, Tari can play the four. And you, and I've heard people say, well, Jabari can't play the five. And I keep making the point. He can't play the five defensively, but you know who can? Tari, because Tari can play defensively against anybody. And where are you going to get the rebound? Jabari's not a good rebounder. What? Uh, I just checked. He is a good rebounder. And you know who else is? Tari. Like when those two guys are on the court now, it's class eating time. Yeah, Tari played the five in college, like in like at Cincinnati, at LSU. He played the five growing up. He's the best shot blocking wing in the league right now, uh, by every single analytic. I do agree with you. Like the this is what I was talking about earlier with the the creativity stuff. Is it's like I, I think Ime Yudoka has set things a bit too in stone with roles and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're seeing results. It doesn't mean that I personally agree with every single decision that he's made. Like, why is Tate the backup four who comes in for Jabari like four minutes into the game? I don't know, but what do I know? Uh, well, he's, <laughs> he's doing a lot of backup threes because Dylan Brooks is in foul trouble, you know, yeah. all the time now, which is another issue. If I gave you the choice 
And this this goes to Tari being a substitute for Shangun and Jabari. But if I gave you the choice, the Rockets deal for a defensive big, you know, everybody's, oh, we need a rim runner and we need a defensive big and whatever, or a wing score to add to their bench via trade, which would you choose between a defensive big and a wing score? I would go defensive big. The wing score is probably a bigger need because our offense is just so bad, but I would rather put that burden onto a guy like Tari. I'd rather put that burden onto Jabari. I would rather put that burden onto the guy, the young guys we have and see them grow and then also get a defensive rim running big, specifically for Amon more than anybody else because he's such an elite pick and roll player and he's needed screens. And my, my biggest problem with how they've used Amen is they put Boban or Jeff Green who don't roll or are the, the slowest people on the planet when they well, do roll out there. Boban's tra- trash. T- I mean, he's trash time. Yeah, yeah, he's the the victim. But, yeah, but you know but, what I mean. Yeah, Jeff Green. Yeah, I, I, yeah, he's not the guy you want screening necessarily. Um, and if you were go, going to trade for one those one of those two type of positions, the Rockets have Brooklyn's first round pick, and this is right up your alley because I know how closely you're following the draft. At this moment, Brooklyn sits at 16. If you were the general manager, would you be willing to give up? That pick, that first-round pick, to get a role player or a bench player, especially since the word is out, it's not the greatest draft in the world. So would you be willing to give a, a first-round pick, or do you see that as maybe even though it's a mid-first-round pick, it's too valuable because it's a, you know, it's a it's a locked-up contract, it's a it's a decent contract, you know, or am I underestimating this draft at all? I'll start with the draft because that's my that's my main thing. But the the draft is not top heavy, and these drafts that aren't top heavy get kind of mistakenly labeled as bad. Think of like 2020, which has produced like Desmond Bain, Halliburton, Vassell, Ant, Lamelo, all these different guys who are incredibly talented and good at basketball, and, and it, it, they have more depth than you could ever imagine. What ends up happening with these kinds of cycles with the with the draft classes? You have these really strong classes that are perceived to be strong. And so more guys go back to college, like last year. I, I think four or five guys that I would have taken in the first round went back to college. And so they're going to come out next year because they have a higher chance of being a first round pick because it's a perceived weaker draft. But because of that perception, there's all these different guys who are declaring, who think that they have a shot at being a first round pick. So you end up getting more depth in these weaker drafts than you do in stronger, you know, more top heavy drafts, even though there's not really a correlation between the strength at the top and the depth of the class. Uh, It's a really weird phenomenon that's gone on for the last decade or so. All that is to say, I think this is a, a deep class. There's a lot of wings, forwards, and bigs that could all really help this team. There's some interesting scores, you know, deep in that draft. You, you, you that you could get there's some really funky bigs who could come off the bench that are really strongly defensively slanted and there's some really elite defenders in that you know 12 to 20 range that could you know be a guy who could come in and play immediately as a rookie or go to the G League and develop and if we hadn't hit on guys like Shangun, Tari, Whitmore 
you know, with those later picks, I would be more worried if we were a team like the Lakers who are physically incapable of making a good pick in the, in, in the mid first, I'd trade it in a heartbeat, but the brain trust in the Houston front office can at least do a decent job of finding somebody worth gambling on in that mid first round that I wouldn't trade it for a mid tier backup that you could probably get. I'm just thinking about it. And I'm almost wondering if Cam Whitmore might be like number one or two in this particular draft. And that's my thing about going out and getting a wing score. If I'm the Rockets is like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Cam Whitmore start to get a shot, especially the fact that Jalen's been so bad. If you're going to be, you know, letting a guy on training wheels screw up this much, then let's give Cam a shot too to play the two guard more, you know, bring him off the bench as soon as Jalen is struggling so we can see what he can do. I mean, I'm all for typically easing rookies in and all that sort of stuff. But with where you are in the Jalen situation right now, it just makes sense. Like Cam Whitmore, can it kill you to give him a few minutes? Is he that much? Is he so terrible that he's worse than bad Jalen on a bad Jalen night? It's just, that's, you know, my frustration right now, and maybe that's going to change here pretty soon, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm praying. Uh, the The Whitmore question with this draft is a really interesting one. I think but the worry with Whitmore is that even if, so even if he's you, you view it as like he's having the season he's having in the G League right now as a prospect, and you put that into like, oh, now he's like actually in the draft this year instead of last year. The worry is that, he drops for some of the same reasons he dropped last year. So a lot of the teams in the high lottery don't need or don't want to take a scoring wing, right? A lot of these teams need a creator. They need a point guard. They need, you know, a defensive anchor. Cam Whitmore is like the icing on top for a team that's rebuilding. Like for the Rockets, I think he is the perfect cap off to our rebuild because if he hits, awesome. We are like completely set for life on young and cheap assets, cheap contracts, all that kind of stuff, high value assets. If not, it's not the end of the world. But if you're, you know, Detroit taking a bet on Cam Whitmore, when you have no idea who's going to be there next year, you're a lot less willing. If he's not going to be able to be your point guard and like get reps like that, and you have to like feed him the ball and all this kind of stuff, that's not the kind of reps you want to be giving somebody. It has to be a team further along in their rebuild who wants to take him. And that's why a team like Indiana really wanted him on draft night. And that's why a team like us really wanted him on draft night because we're slightly further along. And these, you know, strong scoring wings aren't as valuable to super rebuilding teams. Yeah. That's a real interesting thing that you said saying that basically he's not a creator. And I've seen a lot of guys come into the NBA with his kind of physical ability and you go, yeah, they're not really creators. And then, you know, you, you, you see them develop as their career goes along. He was 19 years old, barely played part of a college season. How much of creation did he have to do when he was in high school? You know, I watch him in the G league and I'm like, Man, he does some pretty nifty passing. It's the G League. They're not playing the same defense, but it's not like he he can't do it. He doesn't, you know, it's not like 
he has no peripheral vision. It's not like he's got no physical talent. I mean, that's, you see what I'm saying? You, you, you sure that he's not a creator at all or can't be? That's the upside, right? If Cam hits as a creator, then we won. Uh, end of the day, we were the luckiest franchise on, you know, we did a great job developing him. That's his top highest end outcome. The worry is that a lot of the time, it just looks like he doesn't want to pass. I think that's why he's in the G League, because he has very specific issues that need fixing. Even if talent-wise, he belongs with the main team. He should be getting these minutes. But for his development, how useful is five to 10 minutes a game where he's being asked to just go out there and shoot? We know he can shoot. We know he can score. We know he can get to the rim. He already does all of that stuff at a positive NBA level. Problem is, he has no idea what's going on on defense because he played at a weird Villanova school where they, that was a very weird situation at Nova last year. And he really struggles to pass on in a lot of like, he draws like triple teams and isn't making kickouts and stuff like that. And if you can give him the chance to just go to the G League and just get reps on reps on reps on reps. He's already shown some growth, like you've talked about. We've seen some nifty passes. You can tell that he's focused on making these passes and trying harder on defense and all this stuff. That is far more valuable uh, if you can like get him to the level where he's playable in the NBA as a role player and can do all the role player stuff, make connected passes, defend, drive, shoot. And then you start to build like, oh, he's getting 15, 20 minutes a night in the NBA because he's earned them. Now we can see if the step back shooting is real. Now we can see if the pick and roll stuff is real. I'm just really happy with the way they're developing Cam. And I'm really hopeful for him. Like as much as I, I worry about his ability to like contribute to winning now because of the passing and defending, he's shown so much. Like he is like 19. And I, I, I'm just super excited to see how it goes because this feels like Finally, the Rockets are able to develop someone in a way that feels ideal and not just like throwing them out there to the sharks and letting them sink or swim. It, it's such a nice feeling, honestly. Yeah, I typically don't make much of the summer league, but, you know, for me, defense is, you know, some of it's just effort. Most of it's just effort, wanting to play defense. And when he was playing in the summer league, I saw a guy that seemed interested in playing defense. He had great instincts for steals, for blocking shots. He has the size to guard anybody. What was the system that Jalen Green came out of the last two years that made you think that he was going to be anything good defensively when the year started? I mean, I felt like Jalen Green and Cam Whitmore started from the same spot, considering that Jalen Green was playing under Silas for the last two years. So me personally, you know, let's see, Cam, let's see what he can do. I'd love to see it. I want you to um, close out. Tell me what you're doing. Uh, pl- plug away with all the stuff that you guys got going on. Yes, yeah, so always check out the HTX Chop Shop. Uh, you know, always doing great stuff over there. I think I'm going to have a Atari video coming out here soon. Uh, been working on that a little bit. The podcast has been a little slow. We're waiting until the season starts to pick up. Both of us, you know, me and my co-host are a bit busy, but... If you want to check out a great draft prospect, you know, go back last night, Chicago State played Northwestern. A player who I consult for dropped 30 points and beat 25th ranked Northwestern, Wesley Cardit Jr. Check him out. He's going to be a first round pick come July. 
put himself up on the map, can really shoot, can really drive. That's about all I'm doing at the moment, consulting, doing some light video stuff, hopping on some pods, having a good time, and really just enjoying Rockets basketball. That's all you can ask for. Finally enjoying Rockets basketball again for the first time in the last few years. Uh, I love this team, and let's keep winning. Yeah, amen to that for sure. Always a blast having you on. Thanks a bunch, Coop. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.